0: see so many of you on a, on a cool morning. Um, I want to talk to you this morning. Remember yesterday I talked about prayer, about the battle with the Lord's, and the story of Jehoshaphat and his choir going out to, to battle in the desert. Today I want to talk about another aspect about prayer um, that... Um, Making room in your life for prayer. And I actually would expand this. Making room in your life for devotion, for prayer. And even more than that, um, making the room for God in your life. I believe firmly um, that there is a point which are Um, life has to be entirely God's. I believe that's the point of of conversion and that our life is God's. People always talk to me about um, the will of God, you know, if I only knew the will of God for my life. And I don't believe that there's something distinct out there just floating around called the will of God. If you read Romans 12, that's not what I'm talking about today, uh, verses 1 to 3, it says, give your whole life over to God. That's your acceptable sacrifice. That's your acceptable service. The the word there means something more than just giving a sacrifice. It means your service, your worship, giving everything to God. And when that happens, then it says, you know, don't be conformed to the world, but be renewed, uh, you know, but but... Uh, have your mind renewed, your soul renewed, and then it goes on, Paul goes on to say, and then you will know what the will of God is, his is perfect, acceptable will. A totally surrendered life that, that is the possession of God's is the will of God. And we, we trust and we stay close and. Um, um, Song that Patty and I love and we, we were listening to uh, on coming up here and even yesterday uh, it was uh, I need thee every hour and I mean need thee every minute I don't really trust uh, I don't really trust myself on an hour by hour with God I need God every minute and so it, it, it's, it's putting God in your life and I believe the prayer without ceasing which is from Thessalonians and, and Paul talks about that uh, praying without ceasing is really in every situation looking for God and having our heart attuned toward God. We used to sing the little chorus, you know, whisper a prayer in the morning and whisper a prayer at noon, whisper a prayer in the evening. Keep your heart in tune. And uh, it's really to look for God and say, Where are you, God, in this? And, and let me be what. You want me to be all that you want me to be in this situation. Jesus said, when you pray, and I've handed out the, the text there, or they've been handed out this morning. Thank you, Darlene. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who, who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So Jesus talks about going into some room closet some versions whatever some room and shutting the door and uh, pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly and jesus didn't say if you pray because prayer is not elective in the in the course of our life with god um, no relationship goes anywhere without conversation without communication and it's the same way with our, our life with God. It does not have to be necessarily uh, words, but it has to be giving over ourselves to God and waiting. Uh, I, I know that sometimes um, at, at prayer retreats, people have say, go out in the woods with your Bible. And wait for an hour or so, and see what happens. And it's amazing the stories that come back from that. And one of the things that, that's great about Adventism that I've run into uh, with a lot of evangelicals that they don't um, have the have the pleasure, the benefit of, is our strong strong belief. That God is revealed in nature. God, the second book, as we grew up in the Pathfinders and the, all the experiences we've had um, in, the, in, the, in the beauty and the wonder of creation, is another place where, where we get this. So, but, and there's your room can be, and that's what the point is the room can be various places, but, there, but Jesus talks about making this room. And I want to talk to you this morning about a story about the room. Um, I will take, uh, I, I've, I don't think I'm taking real liberties, but I'm putting it in a more modern context. It's the story of the Shunammite woman which you have there in front of you. And it's a very modern story, despite the fact it happened thousands of years ago. Um, a Couple of, of things in the story uh, center around this thing. Every day, I imagine, and certainly at a place like this where you're greeting old friends, you're asked, how am I doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? Um, haven't seen you for a long time. You know, how are things? And it's a t- human tendency, perhaps our, our sense of privacy, pride, whatever, to say, I'm fine. And, you know, greeting at church, you do that, you know, how are you doing this week? Well, I'm fine. Um... And you know, you're uh, there is a point where you wonder if, if 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 you or anyone else really really cares or even listens to the answer because you know, does the respondent tell the truth? If you say, you know, well, I, I'm glad you asked because my aches, my dog died uh, this morning and my 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 child or grandchild's in juvenile hall. If somebody answers like that and just starts pouring out that, you know, we have a tendency to quickly exit the conversation. Uh, And uh, there, I'm sure we've all run into people who, in the lobby of, of, uh, in the foyer, uh, who, once they start, they aren't going to the the parade of woes just will continue to come and come and come and the interesting thing is that's true every week and so after a while I'm sure that, uh, that pastors like Al knows that, know that phenomena and it's, it's not that you don't feel great empathy and sorrow and sadness for that poor soul, it's just after a while how could this be so you have to be careful a little bit when you ask how you're doing but we kind of have this social convention we're going to probably get the answer well I'm doing okay because you know no matter what we're going to be okay. But we have to, you know, the, the one thing that the, the Lord requires of us in prayer absolutely is honesty. I've, I've thought about, read a lot about this in Scripture and, and other places. God can deal with anything we bring to, to the Lord in prayer, even our upset and our anger and our disappointment with God. If you read the Psalms, You'd have to come to that conclusion just on, on the Psalms alone. But, but he can handle that. He would rather have us honest with him. You know, he'd rather have us hot or cold. He, 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 the Lord wants the real us in prayer. and honesty, if, if you come and say, you know, Lord, uh, I'm fine, and I'll be back to you when I work on this a little longer, and I'll bring it back to you. And uh, that's, that doesn't work out here. Um, he wants everything. And I've always, the closest definition I can find in Scripture to what humility really is, is in First Peter 5, uh, right there, 5 to 7, where it says, you know, cast all your cares on him, for he cares about you. And that's, it follows some verses about the Lord gives, uh, uh, gives grace to the, the humble, but he, he opposes the proud. Well, there are people, well, that's too small to take to God. Nothing's too small to take to God. Nothing's too large to take to God. Take everything. This is God's life that you have, that you live. So you take everything there. So, anyway, in this story today, it, 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 uh, the woman apparently tells her, her husband in the middle of a weekday, I'm going to go see, and I use for this term, for Elisha, the preacher. And why ask her husband? It's, it's not a day we go to church. Are you okay? I'm fine, she says, but she is not fine. Years before, she'd offered lunch to the preacher when he passed by their ranch. She and her husband were wealthy, and the ranch and the, the, the house were large and required a lot of attention. And the conversations with the preacher about spiritual things were a welcome break, break from her busy routine. And it gave her a lot to think about and opened up new, uh, new thoughts about God that thrilled her and sustained her for days, and she extended an open invitation to the preacher and his assistant to come by for a meal anytime he was in the area. "The preacher is a godly man," she told her husband. And he's led us both to a new understanding of God and the grace that changes everything for us. And I'd like to do something for him. Let's build him a retreat. We can add a room to the house and furnish it for him with a bed and a desk so he can rest and pray and reflect while he's here. And so they built a simple room, imagine, and the preacher loved it there. And one day while he was resting on the bed, he told his assistant, please call our hostess in here. Uh, I want to thank her for, for going to so much trouble for us. And ask her what we can do for her. Assistant uh, went to her and asked her, and he said, you know, the preacher has excellent condition, connection to the government. If there's some favor you need, we could ask for you. She said, no, I don't need anything. Nothing. Preacher asked, so assistant goes back, tells the preacher. Preacher says, can you think of anything she needs? Anything at all that she needs that we can get her? Well, her husband's much older than, than her, and You know you see that she's childless so preacher called her back in he said he said uh, to his assistant call her back in here and when she returned the preacher told her an amazing thing next year you are going to have a baby son to hold and she was shocked even even hurt. Why would this man expose her deepest longing and toy with her emotions? She wanted a child so intensely that she'd stopped asking God for one, because she was terrified that he that she would be disappointed. Have you ever been in a position like that with God, that you wanted something so much that you know, and you were so afraid of being disappointed about it that your heart would break and you would never come back to that? I have encountered that in 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 working with small groups in prayer that just I I I can't go there Kent because it would it would break me if I didn't get the answer I want. And there is a there is an issue we can make idols of our answers. I mean, we really worship God. I I um will speak at my last talk on on uh, Friday morning. I'm going to talk a little bit about that about the Lord and, and, uh, and healing But She was childless Felt this intense feeling And uh, She Couldn't bear the thought So no She told the preacher No I, I mean it Don't go there Don't play tricks on me The preacher wasn't Wasn't kidding she conceived, and the next year she and her husband had a baby boy of their own to, uh, to hold, and it was the child of their dreams and their prayers. And it wasn't that her life was better. Children, I, you know, life with children and without children is, is different. It's wonderful. There are things, as you know, you find out about yourself that you would never know if you didn't have a child, and there are a lot of things you find out about God along the way. And uh, as every parent does, you learn the prayer of crop failure. Uh, Lord, whatever I, this thing I planted here, please don't let it grow, and and uh, forgive me. But anyway, the uh, uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and Lord, take care of them in spite of me. But the um, um, it is different. Like somebody throw open the the windows and and the doors, and the light poured into the room, into the house that uh, that. Always, she kind of thought, had drawn curtains before. So the child laughed and played and asked questions and enjoyed the animals and the wide-open spaces of the ranch that had always seemed like a business to them before now. And then came harvest time a few years later. And at that time, reapers would have come to the ranch to, to bring in the barley and the, and the wheat. And there's no, there was no noise and activity. I mean, there was a lot of noise and activity, and the boy loved to go with his father out to the fields, and on a particular day in the middle of the morning, the boy cried out, "My head, my head and that 's what he cries, and, and he just goes down sounds like could have been an aneurysm or something that came on fast, uh, uh, malaria has, can have those blinding headaches like that, something. So he, he collapses in writhing tears. And this father is not, in the story, is not a kid guy, quite obviously. Um, tears and, and that kind of thing would, would be a mystery to a, kind of what you imagine to be a stoic man who's, whose world is the hard work and the calculated risk of agriculture and having represented farmers over the years. Um, they are the greatest clients of all. Never second guess anything. And either you get the, the crop in or you don't, they plant. They they kind of live with that risk and, and so he needed to get it in. He needed to get the ripe grain in before the rains came in the fall, which they do in in that area of the world, as they do here. So there was no stopping now and he needed to keep going. And calls the field hand over and he said, Carry the boys to his mother. She knows when she sees the boy it's serious and There's, there's no, no, no one to help for many miles But that's what a mother's for And she holds him on her lap Sings his favorite songs as he grows weaker And can't even muster the little smile that she adores so And she prays silently desperately God I didn't dare ask you for this child But you gave him to me anyway Now Now I love him more than life itself. I couldn't bear to ask for him, and I can't bear to lose him. Don't do this to me, God. Heal him. Save my boy. Please, God, I'm begging you, I'll do anything you want. And then, just at noon, when she should be seeing to his lunch, he's gone. His breathing stops, and a terrible silence fills the room. And looking back, she'll have a hard time thinking about why she did any of what she is about to do. What she was thinking when she did it? She stands up, holding the boy tight. The household servants watch, and uh, am I making that noise? Sir, okay. the The household servants watch in speechless grief. She walks past them, seeing everything and seeing nothing. She carries the child into the preacher's room and she lays him down on that bed that they put in there for him. And the room's a gift to honor the new life that she has found in God and now it will receive the lifeless body of the precious little one who represents the very blessing and gift that flowed from that life to her. And what else can she do? She brushes his hair away from his still cooling forehead and so soft and smooth to her touch as she always does at bedtime. She hadn't asked him for him, but God gave him to her. And she held him at birth too warm and tiny to be true. And she wondered if she dared risk loving him, but she couldn't help it. Oh God, I couldn't help myself. You gave me this child and he took my whole being into himself and now I can't stand this. I won't stand this. You wonder why I write like this as a lawyer, and this this is a, from my book, uh, which I believe is available here at the ABC, hope so. Um, but you wonder why. It's because at Loma Linda, um, I come from a family that's always kind of prized and treasured uh, babies and children. I can thank my, my parents for that and, and on back in the generations. But I've had the great blessing that a lawyer would rarely get to work with the uh, Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. And it's, people know that's kind of my place at Loma It's my favorite place. And uh, I go through a lot of, unfortunately, uh, uh, mostly great stories of children healed and, and worked through tiny premature infants. Um, sometimes the stories don't work out so well. And uh, my wife and I, our adoptive parents, and um, the first three attempts at that did not work out so well, and each one successively harder until the the third was so heartbreaking that we didn't know there could be a fourth. The fourth turned out to be God's gift and and wonderful. So when you deal with with the the loss of a child, whether it's taken from your arms by by a situation that's not going to work out or in death, it is an extraordinarily difficult thing. And um, So when she turns away, you can imagine a mother's heart being torn in two be- from between what she has to do to go on and that little form there on the bed. And her uh, husband's waiting at the bottom of the stairs. Her servants are, are there waiting. They look at her. They can't come to, to bring themselves to say, uh, what's in their heart? In the days before God came into her life, she had always turned to activity to fill her emptiness. Competence was her refuge, and now she returns to that familiar ground. I can tell you, I you know, I, I would not be talking to a room this morning of, of of you without knowing that there is the experience of grief that would have been here. And people react to grief in all kinds of ways, and there's no measured way. There are the stages of grief, and people go through those in different order, and I certainly have been there. Um, but I will tell you this, that my reaction, and I notice this reaction from other people, is I always have, get busier suddenly. Uh, I mean, that's been always my way of kind of processing it. And... Um, it's not necessarily a good way if you just stuff things under busyness, but it's, it's one way, you know, I've, I've got to get back to life, I have, I have to get going that. And I was kind of surprised where the, the experience of my life that really probably marked the difference between my childhood and my adulthood was in, in college. And uh, I was resp- when after the, uh, the death that precipitated that of, um, you know, someone who was very, very treasured and close to me. I was surprised at my reaction, and which was that I really threw myself back into my schoolwork and my, my, um, my work editing the college newspaper and that kind of thing. And, I, and that's been kind of patterned the rest of my life. And it would be true for a, for a woman like this, and it obviously wasn't the story. I need transportation and driver. She called for a mule, basically, in the story. She tells her husband, I'm going to see the preacher. She says, why today? We don't go to church in the middle of the week. Is everything all right? I'm fine. She says it just by rote memory. To admit anything else in the moment would reduce her to brittle fragments like glass shattered by a high frequency sound. The speaker's sorrow would give it life. And it does not deserve life. Your sorrow does not deserve life. Not yet, not ever. He has made us glad. That is God's warranty. Us. He has made us glad. That doesn't mean we have to be glad all the time. Obviously not. And that doesn't mean we pretended being glad. But whenever we're not glad, we know we're off warranty. And it's a time for prayer. And it's a time to put our life out there to say, Lord, bring me back on label. Bring me back to the warranty. He, you know, he has made us glad. And that's a deep, subtle sense of peace. Gladness is a great word, and it's a deep, subtle sense of peace and well-being. And when the sins and brokenness of this world take that away, and they will, we learn from that, and we learn a great deal about God. But this is a God... Well, one time I, I brought a, a, a vice president of a community college district um, down where we live to Christ, and it was kind of a passage of time. But I asked her, uh, you know on, the, on the, the evening we were really talking about when this happened uh, over a long period of time, and she decided to go. She said, Kent, you told me about a God nobody else has ever told me about. She said, I, I have watched people talk about this and saying it will, it will make your life completely different and spare you from troubles. She said, you're the first person, you and, you and Patricia are the first people to tell me that even though I'll go through the troubles, the Lord will walk with me through those troubles. And she said, I can believe in a God like that. So as this mother, and she she says, Drive, flat out, don't stop for anything. Preacher's assistant, Gehazi in the text there. Spots them coming up the mountain. He meets the woman at the foot of the drive and he's solicitous. Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? You can read it in the story there. And she brushes past. I'm fine. I'm fine, she says. Even then, she said, I'm fine, because she's holding herself together the way we tend to do it. What else are we going to do, really? I mean, I can't blame this woman. This is exactly what we do. And he follows her then, and she walks faster than he thought she could right into the house, and the preacher's in the study, and stands in surprise when the woman comes in, and she drops to her knees and hugs his ankles so hard that he had to grab a chair to stop from from tumbling on top of her, and her sobs just convulse her body in sloppy waves. And the assistant grabs her shoulder to pull her off, Leave her alone, the preacher says. Leave her alone. She's obviously in bitter distress, and I can't tell why. Did I ask you for a son, she demands? Did I even ask God for a son? Didn't I say to you, don't trick me? Listen to me, the preacher says to his assistant. Get over to her house now. Don't stop to talk to anyone. Go to the boy, lay my walking stick on his face. I'll be praying the whole time. You you listen to me, the woman says. God and you caused this to happen. You deal with this. I'm not leaving without you. The assistant goes ahead of them. When they arrive, he meets them and bluntly says, there's no change. The child is dead. Preacher goes up and finds the little boy dead on the bed, closes the door and prays to God to turn this thing around. This child is so little and so still and cold to the touch. Why this God? The preacher asked, What are you doing? If I could give this child my life, my own beating heart, I would. And he lies down on the boy as if to impress his own breath into the boy's lungs. And the boy's flesh warms slightly under his weight, but no breath fills the child's lungs. And the preacher's in agony. He gets up and paces the floor in quick agitated steps. Lord, you give life. This woman extended the cup of cold water to me for refreshment, And for refreshment of your servant, you promise to honor the one who does such a thing. And she asks nothing in return. Please, Lord, do not make me a liar. Do not deny her the desire of her heart. Do not deny this child its life before it's really begun. And he bends over the child even as the prayer trails from his his whispering lips. And it all ends quietly and quickly and blurbily. The child sneezes, startles the preacher watches the boy. The eyes remain closed. The sneezes continue six more times. And then the preacher sees the twinkling brown open eyes. And he calls out to the assistant. Bring the mother in here. When she comes in, the preacher finds all his words and explanations are just left behind. Take your son is all he can say. The woman falls again to the floor, head-touching and prostrate, thanks and worship to God, and they both, know, they, they both know that God did this thing. She takes her son and leaves. And now, she really is fine. Now, I have filled some details into that story based on experience of, of, of such situations. But this story always reminds me why my glib... I'm fine. I'm okay. May only be scotch tape seeking to hold together the unraveling package of my soul against the battering of losses, of grief, of disappointment, of the disinterested, how are you doing, of strangers and those who really sh- should know better. And when things are coming at the part of the seams, you need the truth. And if you need the truth, you don't just need the truth, but you need the Savior who is the, uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And the woman of Shunem, that's what she's called for all history, the word Shunem means an uneven place, probably a hilly place, built a place in her home to honor God. And that sacred space is where she lay her child and the deepest desires of her heart when disaster came with all its broken dreams and threats of death. And having received grace, she accepted no substitute, no human convention, no mere explanations of the possible. She went straight to the source and requested grace, God's help, God's favor and mercy again. Was that faith? Was it desperation? Was it just a shot in the dark? In the moment of of when your heart's breaking, it doesn't matter. Um, If you reach out to God, it is what it is and 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 God will receive it as what it is. We don't even know how to pray, Paul said in Romans. We don't know how to pray. But God receives our groans, the groans of our of our broken and breaking hearts as prayer. Sighs too deep for words, Paul Paul said. But the key to the story is that room. That the the where the woman, you know, the woman built the room in her home and life to honor the God she loved and to enjoy a relationship with Him, represented by Elisha. Is there a room like this for Jesus Christ in your own life? There better be, because we can't accept any substitute for this. Jesus said in this text, and I always come back to this. Not everyone who says to me, this is Matthew 7, 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, or workers or evildoers. Mary and Martha Come to mind. A lot of people think Martha gets a bad rap. Um, you know, she was just trying to help and be helpful, and what's the problem here? And, I, and if you ever want to start an argument in a small group, you can, you can do it over the story of Mary and Martha. Because <laughs> people want to be Martha. They think Mary may be wasting time. Ellen White says, in The Desire of Ages, you need to be Mary before you're Martha. Uh, you need to sit at the feet of the Lord, make room, make time, make space for that to happen. And then your work is infused with God. And to know Jesus like this, to have that, that intimacy, to have that room, is, is for him to possess your entire life in intimacy. And that's the key to eternal life. In, in John seventeen three, 3, in the night before he died, Uh, Jesus prayed to the Father for the eternal life of those who believed in him. And he prayed, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. We can't afford not to have room, a room for a life in Jesus. It's a sacred space. um, And it's a sacred space like this that's created uh, when you worship when you give yourself over totally in heart and in time and in spirit and place uh, to not only yourself, but your family, to bring your children to learn the lessons of the Lord and restore them to the ravages of this world. Family worship can be that room. You build a room like this when you set aside a time in your life for devotional reading and prayer. Uh, Martin Luther said, "If on the days when we must be really busy, we should pray three times as long. And you know, that's true. That's actually true. There's something about prayer and and working it through with God in prayer that will sort things out in your life. And few people have faith enough to do that. Well, we have to to get going. The pastor told me that once. We have to get going. And then the Lord will catch up with us. No, 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 no. The Lord can't catch up with us. And fortunately, he covers our foolishness a lot of times. But no, we start with God. We go with God. And here's what building that, that room in your life can mean. And I'm going to finish with a, with a story here, a true story. It involves three people. Carrie Heinrich, a close, close colleague of mine, who has just now stepped into, uh, he's an attorney, who stepped into being the, uh, the chief executive officer of the medical center at Loma Linda. And a woman named Beth Elwell, who's a good friend of ours, who was for many years the director of uh, corporate compliance there at Loma Linda. And uh, every Friday we had a meeting. And, and we either did it by phone or in person. This particular Friday, I was over in my, my uh, office at the law firm in Corona, and I wasn't at Loma Linda. And, and Beth and Carrie were there. Um, and talking to me on the phone, and we were talking about the pressing matters of healthcare regulation. Next to nuclear power, healthcare is the most regulated uh, industry in the country. someday it will just gridlock because the the regulations don't agree with each other. And, um, and you know, we were dealing with the issues that arise in a major teaching hospital with over seven thousand employees. And it's a stressful thing, but we've been together for many years, and and. Um, we're as much brothers and sisters as we are co-workers. So on this particular Friday, Kerry took a break to talk on his cell phone to set up an appointment for someone. And during, well, we're still on, on the line with each other. Beth and I um, are, are just small talking. And I just suddenly just kind of give a pop quiz to Beth. I said, these words are found in what hymn. In seasons of distress and grief... My soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare. Uh, Sweet hour prayer. By thy return, sweet hour prayer. And she says, oh, Beth, I know that. I've heard it before. And Carrie comes back on the phone, and I I repeat the line. And he says them over, and then begins to hum the correct tune, uh, sweet hour prayer. And that's right, I say. And I said, how about this one? My favorite line in hymn ever nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling naked come to thee for dress helpless look to thee for grace foul I to the the fountain fly wash me savior or I die oh 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 Gary says I think I know that one and I repeat the words and they both try but can't guess it and I say rock of ages but in fairness I said that verse is dropped out of a lot of hymnals in in modern times and I say uh, try to guess this one Uh, prone to wonder Lord I feel it Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for that courts above. And Beth says, "Oh, I've heard that one. If if I could actually carry a tune," she said, "You know, I I think I would get that." And uh, come come thou out of every blessing. And so Carrie was humming it, and he knew it. I, I'm interested in Carrie's uh, um, father-in-law is is an amazing story of Adventist education. Raised on a farm in Alberta, Canada, put himself uh, kind of through through Walla Walla, came down to Loma Linda, and inter- played. Was a musician. They kept. He played in a in a big band at the resort at there, and he was always in trouble for that. But anyway, he got through. Paid for the next um, next brother in line. Four brothers and four sisters got through the school of medicine and school of nursing at Loma Linda over the years. Uh, each paying for the next one in line. And uh, and so, uh, the the grandchildren, uh, Carrie and Judy's children, are, are both very musical at Walla Walla now, heavily engaged in music, um, although one's pre-med and one's pre-law. And, um, you know, it just passes on. It's always interesting to me. But anyway, so... Um, we got through that, and, and we got through others, and we kept going back through the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, pardon receives, and to God be the glory, Kerry said, and that's right, and for the next next 15 minutes, we just exchanged lines and memories and snatches of all kinds of hymns that you would know, and I toss out the last line to be guessed. Uh, lift, lift high as royal, royal banner, it must not suffer loss, and that's from Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. We sang it yesterday morning. And neither Carrie or Beth can think think of it. And I said the melody sounds a lot like the fight song of Carrie's law school alma mater. It's University of Oregon. It's close, just because mainly it's a marching song. But I, and I so we go back and we finish our business, and I feel refreshed, reconnected to life. We probably spent you know a good half hour doing that, and. Uh, Vibrant faith kind of came to life, like you, uh, you know, in, in the middle of talking about federal regulations and everything, kind of like a daisy grows yellow through the sidewalk. And, you know, I, I know people, da- da- or not daisies, but dandelions, people think, oh, they're weeds. I always get thrilled by the fact that there's something strong enough that to uh, come through a crack in a sidewalk and shine yellow like that. Uh, it's kind of a defiant seizure of life where there isn't any. And um, so later that afternoon, word came that a business acquaintance of Carrie and me had, had died um, as somebody who, who worked for the church. And uh, Carrie had gone to, to uh, college with him too. And he'd, they were lifelong friends. And I called and told him and gave him my condolences. And uh, we discussed the news a bit. And then Carrie says, I've been thinking about our hymn session today. He said, that meant a lot to me. He said, uh, it was special. And I said, you know, I know, I've been thinking a lot about that too. Um, Amazing thing is that what academic medical center and the whole world would find the general counsel, the compliance counsel, and the executive director of, of corporate compliance singing hymns and talking about Jesus in the middle of a teleconference. I said, we really are blessed. He said, we are blessed and I'm grateful. And so we're silent then for a moment, for the, in respect for the blessing and for our lost friend. And then I say, being sundown and with Rob passing away today, I'm thinking of another hymn. This one has has my favorite name for God ever. It's this: while the deepening shadows fall, heart of love enfolding all. And I just love that that name. Heart of love enfolding all, through the glory and the grace of the stars that veil thy face our hearts ascend. Carrie says, I don't know. I said, Yes you do. I bet your family sung that, that song at sundown worship your whole life. Oh, he said, Day is dying in the west. He said we do sing that every week, always have, only we sing this verse When forever from our sight pass the stars, the day the night, Lord of angels on our eyes, let eternal morning rise and shadows end. And I said, you know, Carrie, my family has sung this all over the world. I even sang it to myself at sundown in Kabul, Afghanistan. Always the first verse. And then the third verse about the heart of love enfolding all. It's the same for us, Carrie said, only we sing that last verse. And so we sign off two men in middle age engaged in a profession that most people think is far from seeking, from singing spiritual songs. And the next week I talked to Beth, and she had the same blessing from our impromptu name, that hymn tune. And, and, uh, and we've been playing the game, and she's talked to her running companion about it. She says her friend was surprised that such a session would happen in the workplace. But Carrie and I and Beth, the three of us, were all children of Christian families. Beth came up through a, a very conservative uh, Baptist denomination. Carrie and I are, are Adventists, of course. We grew up singing those hymns in worship at home, in at church, at school. And our parents made the effort and the financial sacrifice to see that that happened, that we would go to church school. I came from—Carrie's from, uh, uh, the son of a pastor. I came from—my uh, uh, father was a carpenter and a contractor— there wasn't a lot of resources, and there were demands, a lot of demands on that. But our parents did that. And now, in adulthood, we are bonded together, we are joined together in the body of Christ. And a lot of that lyric came, uh, a lot of that, those lyrics came from those times around the piano on Friday nights and Sabbath evening and at other times. And we're passing that same thing on to the blessing of of our children. The old preacher, A.W. Tozier, uh, wrote that after the Bible, the most important book for learning theology is a hymnal. He said, for a variety of reasons, this is a quote from him, many have tossed the hymn book aside, or at least have ignored it. It's been a successful ploy of the enemy to separate us from those lofty souls who reveled in the rarefied atmosphere of God's presence, I suggest you find a hymn book and learn how to use it. So there are parents who doubt the value of family worship, of family prayer. My mom used to always um, write to the Voice of Prophecy to pray for her children. You know, And we kind of knew where we stood if we read that uh, monthly uh, Voice of Prophecy newsletter to come to the house and we'd find our names in it. But anyway. But uh, they went... They they made that sacrifice. And the cost of a Christian education can seem like an unnecessary luxury, especially in hard times like these. And each family has to decide for themselves based on their faith and their resources and their priorities. But I tell you this, on a Friday afternoon, years later, decades later, a compliance director and two attorneys paused spontaneously in the middle of a business meeting to worship Jesus Christ with the remembered songs of Zion. And if we wanted to do so, we could have called all kinds of administrative assistants and HR analysts and and, uh, technicians and and physicians and nurses and whatever to do the same thing. Because they're around there and they're there, they're they're doing the same thing and they would have done the same thing with us because of, of the same experiences. It's popular these days for, for the for the Adventist colleges and Christian colleges kind of everywhere to develop and promote academic excellence and that should be shown sure if we I mean that should be as it, as it should be because anything we do in the name of Christ we need to do well. But I'm going to tell you this there's 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 really can be no mistake about this the value added benefit of Christian education is the saving and power, powering knowledge of the father the only true God in Jesus Christ, who he sent. And to sing about our God while serving him in the world is the life of worship to which we're called. You know, we're never going to find the gospel mission, I'm fond of telling boards this, um, in the bricks and mortar, in the bigger parking lots, in the cutting-edge technology and all that kind of thing. You only find mission in the hearts and minds of the people who hold those beliefs. You don't find any place else. And I have to tell you at the time when we turn increasingly to non-adventists to, to staff our institutions. We are acting and, 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 and funds from other sources, and to maintain those institutions that, that, uh, that is a hard choice, because that seems to be necessary. But we are moving more and more into the ground of owners rather than stewards. Stewards say, I will do what I can do for the master with the resources the master provides. Owners say, no matter what, we own this thing. It's an asset, and we have to keep it alive regardless. Um, And when we do that, we're taking it on ourselves, not leaving leaving God. But how do you make space for this truth in your heart first? Um, Blaise Pascal, the philosopher and, and mathematician who... Our modern computers are based on a lot of his theories. He was back in the 17th century, said all of us are made with a God-shaped hole in our heart. And Paul prayed for the Ephesians that God would strengthen each of them in your inner being with a power through his spirit that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are rooted and grounded in love so you may be filled with the fullness of God. The space is there. It may need to be cleaned up, but it's the gospel of grace that we don't have to clean it up and to rearrange our furniture, we turn it over to God, and we say, God, do your work in me. And I wish at the end here just to tell you that there was a preventing formula to ward off pain and loss and to magically guarantee that I'm fine. I'm doing okay. I don't need help. But saying the words will never make it so. And just coming to meetings and memorizing proof texts and, and uh, you know marking your Bible and reading a, a, a book here and there won't do it either. It has to be a secret chamber in your heart where God alone dwells. And there's a space for the Word of God that brings you life, a place to receive God's grace and nurture it. And then when the storm breaks over the dream and the gift is stolen you can return to that place like the woman of Shunem did and lay that child down. Children, grandchildren, break our hearts. Um, It's that kind of world. And you want them back, you want them there for God, you want them there through eternity. And that room, as that woman did, that room is the place you bring your child back and you have to build that room. So Christ, at this very moment, speaks to you and me. And he says, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice, don't open the door. I'll come in and eat with you and you with me. And open the door and give him the room. And in fact, giving the run of the entire place, your entire life. Enjoy his presence. Let's sing here just at the end before we have prayer. We'll sing the song we had yesterday. Um, I have long in my heart. We have more of uh somebody went down we have more of the if do you all know the song or do you need more prayer sheets here or is song sheets? Let's sing the first and and, uh, third verses of Have Thy Own Way, Lord. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for the beauty of this place, for the freshness of the rain that came and settled the dust, and for the spiritual rain that revives our spirits. We want to thank you for the woman of Shunem and Elisha and those situations so long ago that remind us that you are a God who doesn't change who has a great love in your heart and is seeking those who will make room for you to live and dwell with us always in our hearts. And I pray that that message will encourage those here this morning. There's not a person in this room who isn't either a a sibling, a friend, a grandparent, a parent, uncle, aunt, you've put us in families lord and you've put us in the larger family of god and we are just so thankful to you that we are not alone and now may this day be a blessed one here in this camp and for your people everywhere in jesus name amen would you please take your song sheets and give them to